Chapter Thirteen of the Fortunate Foundlings by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Thirteen. Louisa finds herself very much embarrassed by Melanthe's imprudent behaviour. Monsieur de Plessis declares an honourable passion for her. Her sentiments and way of acting on that occasion. After the departure of Monsieur de Plessis louisa fell into a serious consideration of what had passed between them not all the regard which she could not hinder herself from feeling for that young gentleman nor the pleasure she took in reflecting on the respect he paid her made her unmindful of what she owed melanthe the many obligations she had received from her and the friendship she had for her in return made her think she ought to acquaint her with the baseness of the count de bellefleur in order to prevent an affection which she found she had already too much indulged from influencing her to grant him any further favours but this she knew was a very critical point to manage and was not without some apprehensions which afterwards she experienced were but too well grounded that when the lady found herself obliged to hate the man she took pleasure in loving she would also hate the woman who was the innocent occasion of it few in the circumstances louisa was but would have been swayed by this consideration and choose rather to see another become the prey of perfidy and deceit than fall the victim of jealousy herself but the generosity of her nature would not suffer it to have any weight with her and she thought she could be more easy under any misfortunes the discovery might involve her in than in the consciousness of not having discharged the obligations of duty and gratitude in revealing what seemed so necessary to be known with this resolution finding melanthe was not come home she went into her chamber in order to wait her return and relate the whole history to her as she should undress for bed but hour after hour elapsing without any appearance of the person she expected she thought to beguile the tedious time by reading and remembering that melanthe had a very agreeable book in her hand that morning she opened a drawer where she knew that lady was accustomed to throw anything in which she had no occasion to conceal but how great was her surprise when instead of what she sought she found the letter from the count de bellefleur which melanthe in the hurry of spirits had forgotten to lock up as it lay open and was from him she thought it no breach of honour to examine the contents but in doing so was ready to faint away between grief and astonishment she was not insensible that melanthe was charmed with this new lover and had always feared her liking him would sway her to some imprudencies but could not have imagined it would have carried her at least so soon to such a guilty length as she now found it did convinced by the hour in which she went out and alone that she had complied with the appointment and that all she would have endeavoured to prevent was already come to pass she now considered that the discovery she had to make would only render this indiscreet lady more unhappy and therefore no longer thought herself obliged to run any risk of incurring her ill-will on the occasion but in her soul extremely lamented this second fall from virtue which it was impossible should not bring on consequences equally if not more shameful than the first good god cried she how is it possible for a woman of any share of sense and who has been blessed with a suitable education to run thus counter to all the principles of religion 
honour virtue modesty and all that is valuable in our sex and yet that many do i have been a melancholy witness and then again what is there in this love resumed she that so infatuates the understanding that we dote on our dishonour and think ruin pleasing can any personal perfections in a man atone for the contempt he treats us with in courting us to infamy the mean opinion he testifies to have of us sure ought rather to excite hate than love our very pride methinks should be a sufficient guard and turn whatever favourable thoughts we might have of such a one unbeknowing his design into aversion when once convinced he presumed upon our weakness in these kind of reasonings did she continue some time but reflecting that the trouble she was in might put melanthe on asking the cause it seemed best to her to avoid seeing her that night so retired to her own room and went to bed ordering the servants to tell their lady in case she inquired for her that she was a little indisposed while louisa was thus deploring a misfortune she wanted power to remedy the person for whom she was concerned passed her time in a far different manner the count omitted nothing that might convince her of his gallantry and give her a pretence for flattering herself with his sincerity he swore ten thousand oaths of constancy and she easily gave credit to what she wished and had vanity enough to think she merited he had prepared everything that could delight the senses for her reception at the house to which he carried her and she found in herself so little inclination to quit the pleasures she enjoyed that it was as much as the little remains of decency and care of reputation could do to make her tear herself away before midnight in the fulness of her heart she had doubtless concealed no part of this adventure from louisa but on hearing she was gone to rest and not very well would not disturb her the first thing she did in the morning was to run into the chamber and inquire after her health which she did in so affectionate and tender a manner that it very much heightened the other's trouble for her it is certain that setting aside too loose a way of thinking of virtue and religion and adhering to that false maxim that a woman of rank is above censure melanthe had many amiable qualities and as she truly loved louisa was alarmed at her supposed indisposition which to conceal the perplexity her mind was in she still continued to counterfeit as well as to avoid going to a masquerade to which they had some days before been invited and which the present situation of her thoughts left her no relish for melanthe would fain have persuaded her that this diversion would contribute to restoring her but she entreated to be excused and the other went without her Monsieur de plessis in the meantime having informed the count de bellefleur how much it was in vain for him to flatter himself with any hopes of louisa that proud and inconstant nobleman was extremely mortified and said that since she was so haughty he was resolved to contrive some way or other to get her into his power as well out of revenge as inclination this the other represented to him would be a very ungenerous way of proceeding and said that as she refused his addresses merely out of a principle of virtue and not for the sake of a more favoured rival he ought to content himself but these arguments were lost on a man whom pride of blood and an affluence of fortune had rendered too insolent and headstrong to think anything reason which opposed his will 
and they parted not well satisfied with each other though du plessis concealed part of the dislike he had of his principles and manner of behaviour on account of a long friendship between their families and also as the count was his superior in birth in years and in the post he held in the army he had no sooner left him than he came to louisa thinking it his duty to give her warning of the count's design and that it would be a proper prelude to something else he had to say as the servants knew she was not perfectly well they told him they believed she would see no company but on his entreating it and saying he had something of moment to impart one of them went in and repeated what he had said on which she gave leave for his admission he rejoiced to find her alone as he came prepared to reveal to her more secrets than that of the count's menace but the pleasure he took in having so favourable an opportunity was very much damped by seeing her look more pale than usual and that she was in a night-dress fearful that this change proceeded from what had passed between them the day before he asked with a hastiness that showed the most kind concern if she were well no other ways disordered answered she than in my mind and that not sufficiently to have any effect over my health but to confess the truth monsieur said she the continual round of diversion this carnival affords has made what the world calls pleasure cease to be so with me and i find more solid satisfaction in retirement where i am in no danger of being too much flattered or affronted ah madam cried he i see the audacity of the count dwells too much upon your thoughts and tremble to relate the business on which i came and which it is yet necessary you should know you mistake me monsieur replied she a common foe of virtue such as the count is incapable of taking up my thoughts one moment it is only those i love can give me real pain i understand you madam resumed he and am too much interested in your concern not to sympathise on the occasion the misfortunes such as i fear will attend the too great sensibility of melanthe may give you so terrible an idea of love in general that it will be difficult to persuade you there can be any lasting happiness to be found in that passion but charming louisa continued he if you will make the least use of your penetration and examine with a desire of being convinced you will easily distinguish the real passion from the counterfeit that love whose supremest pleasure is in being capable to give felicity to the beloved object and that wild desire which aims at no more than a self-gratification the one has the authority of heaven for its sanction the other no excuse but nature in its depravity from all attempts of the one i am confident your virtue and good sense will always defend you but to fly with too great obstinacy the other is not to answer the end of your creation and deny yourself a blessing which you seem formed to enjoy in the most extensive degree both the voice and the manner in which m de plessis spoke gave louisa some suspicion of what he aimed at in this definition and filled her at the same time with emotions of various kinds but dissembling them as well as she could and endeavouring to turn what he said into raillery you argue very learnedly on this subject it must be confessed answered she smiling but all you can urge on that head nor the compliment you make me can win me to believe that love of any kind is not attended with more mischief than good where it is accompanied with the strictest honour 
constancy purity and all the requisites that constitute what is called a perfect passion there are ordinarily so many difficulties in the way to the completion of its wishes that the breast which harbours it must endure a continual agitation which surely none would choose to be involved in ah madam how little are you capable of judging of this passion said he there is a delicacy in love which renders even its pains pleasing and how much soever a lover suffers the thoughts of for whom he suffers is more than a compensation i am myself an instance of this truth i am a lover conscious unworthiness of a suitable return of affection and a thousand other impediments lie between me and hope yet would i not change this dear anxiety for that insipid case i lived in before i saw the only object capable of making me a convert to love it is certain my passion is yet young but a few days has given it root which no time no absence no misfortune ever can dislodge the charming maid is ignorant of her conquest the carnival draws near to a conclusion i must return to the army and these cruel circumstances oblige me either to make a declaration which she may possibly condemn as too abrupt or go and leave her unknowing of my heart and therefore deprive myself even of her pity which party madam shall i take will the severe extreme to which i am driven be sufficient to atone for a presumption which else would merit her disdain louisa must have been as dull as she was really the contrary not to have known all this was meant to herself and the pleasing confusion which this discovery infused through all her veins made her at the same time sensible of the difference she put between him and all those who before had entertained her on that subject but not knowing presently whether she ought to attribute it to her good or ill fortune she was wholly at a loss how to behave and to avoid giving any direct answer still affected an air of pleasantry see cried she the little reason you have to speak in the praise of love for if pity be all you have to hope for from your mistress i am afraid the consolation will be no way adequate to the misfortune yet if you vouchsafe me that replied he kissing her hand i never shall complain me interrupted she pretending the utmost astonishment and drawing her chair somewhat farther from him yes beautiful louisa resumed he it is you alone who have been capable of teaching me what love truly is your eyes at first sight subdued my heart but your virtue has since made a conquest of my soul if i dare hope to make you mine it is only by such ways as heaven and those who have the power of disposing you shall approve in the meantime i implore no more than your permission to admire you and to convince you by all the honourable services in my power to do you while you continue here how much my words are deficient to denote my meaning louisa now finding herself under a necessity of answering seriously told him that if it were true that he had sentiments for her of the nature he pretended they would not only merit but receive the most grateful acknowledgments on her part but at the same time she should be sorry he had entertained them and would wish him not to indulge a prospect which could last no longer than while both remained in venice and must infallibly vanish on their separation no madam 
replied he, when the next campaign is over I shall return to France, and sure the distance between that kingdom and England is not so great, but a less motive than yourself would easily carry me thither, and such credentials also of who and what I am, as I flatter myself, would not appear contemptible in the eyes of your friends. The prospect, therefore, is not so visionary as you seem to think, provided I have your consent. The mention she made of her friends reminding her of her destitute condition gave her the utmost shock, which not being able to overcome, she remained silent some moments, but at last perceiving he waited her reply, Monsieur, said she, there may be a thousand indissoluble bars between us which you do not think of. None, interrupted he eagerly, but what such love as mine will easily surmount. It is true I am ignorant of your condition in the world, but if it be superior to mine, the passion I am possessed of will inspire me with means to raise me to an equality, and if inferior, which heaven grant may be the case, it will only give the opportunity of proving that I love Louisa for Louisa's self, and look upon everything she brings beside as nothing. The emphasis he gave these words manifesting their sincerity could not but give new charms to the person who spoke them. Louisa thought she might, without a blush, testify the sense she had of his generosity, but though what she said was perfectly obliging to him, yet she concluded with letting him know there still was something that rendered the accomplishment of what he seemed to wish impossible. "'Then your heart already is engaged,' cried he, "'or you are predestined by your parents to some happier man?' without either of these answered she there may be reasons to prevent our ever meeting more therefore i owe so much to the honourable offers you are pleased to make me as to wish you to overcome whatever inclinations you may have for one who i once more assure you never can be yours it would be impossible to express the distraction monsieur de plessis testified at this expression a thousand times over did he repeat that dreadful word never then added neither engaged by love or promise yet never can be mine does my ill fate come wrapped to me in riddles yet many things have seemed impossible that are not so in themselves oh louisa continued he if there be any thing beside my want of merit that impedes my wishes and you delight not in my torment speak it i conjure you there is a necessity of denying you in this also said louisa but to show you how little i am inclined to be ungrateful be certain that i have the highest idea of your merits and prize them as much as i ought to do these last words obliging as they were could not console m de plessis for the cruelty as he termed it of refusing to let him know what this invincible obstacle was which put a stop to any further correspondence between them he spared neither prayers nor tears to draw the secret from her but all were ineffectual and she at last told him that if he pressed her any farther on that head she must for the future avoid his presence this was a menace which he had not courage to dare the execution of and he promised to conform to her will though with such agonies as showed her how much he valued even the little she was pleased to grant but it was not in the power of her persuasions to prevail on him to resolve to make any efforts for the vanquishing his passion he still protested that he neither could cease to love her and her alone nor even to wish an alteration to his sentiments 
by what has already been said of the extreme liking which the first sight of this young gentleman inspired louisa with it may easily be supposed she could not hear his complaints and be witness of the anxieties she was enforced to inflict on him without feeling at least an equal share she endeavoured not to conceal the pity she had for him but he now found that was far from being all he wanted because it forwarded not as he at first imagined the progress of his hopes but rather showed them at more distance than ever the business of his love so engrossed his thoughts during this visit that he almost forgot to mention anything of the count's designs upon her and she as little remembered to remind him of it though he told her on his entrance that he had something to acquaint her with on this subject and it was not till he was going to take leave that it came into his head when he had related it to her she assured him that she took the caution he gave her as a new proof of his friendship which said she i shall always prize at parting she permitted him to salute her and gave her promise not to refuse seeing him while they continued in that city but told him at the same time that he must not expect anything from his repeated visits more than she had already granted he durst not at that time press her any farther but fetched a deep sigh as he went out of the room accompanied with a look more expressive than any words could be of the discontent he laboured under while she oppressed beneath the double weight of his and her own grief remained in a condition he was little able to form any conjecture of pleased as she was with the presence of the only man who had ever had power of inspiring her with one tender thought yet a thousand times she had wished him gone before he went that she might be at liberty to give vent to the struggling passions which were more than once ready to throw her into a swoon the perfections she saw in the person of her lover the respect he treated her with notwithstanding the violence of the passion he was possessed of the sincerity that appeared in all his looks and words the generosity of his behaviour in regard to her fortune all the qualifications that would have made any other woman blessed in the offer of such a heart served but to make her wretched since she could not look on herself in a condition capable of accepting it alas du plessis cried she little do you think to whom you would ally yourself you would you say despise a portion but would you marry a foundling a child of charity one that has neither name nor friends and who in her best circumstances is but a poor dependent a servant in effect though not in show and owes her very clothes to the bounty of another oh why did the mistaken goodness of dorilaus give me any other education than such as befitted my wretched fortune better i had been bred a humble drudge and never been taught how to distinguish merit what avail the accomplishments that cost him so much money and me so much pains to acquire but to attract a short-lived admiration which when i am truly known will be succeeded with an adequate derision could i but say i was descended from honest though mean parents i would not murmur at my fate but i have none none to own me i am a nothing a kind of reptile in humanity and have been shown in a genteel way of life only to make my native misery more conspicuous thus did love represent her unhappy circumstances in their worst colours and render her which till now she had never been 
thankless to heaven for all the good she had received since it seemed to deny her the only good her passion coveted that of being in a condition to reward the affection of her dear duplessis a torrent of tears at length somewhat mitigated the violence of her passion and unwilling to be seen by melanthe in the present confusion of her thoughts she went to bed leaving the same orders as she had done the night before End of chapter 13